This is a podcast from 3RRR, 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Deakin University's School of Life and Environmental Sciences. Triple R sponsors. The real story of the ocean depths begins where you left off. Wonders that defy my powers of description. The secrets that are mine alone. After two minutes past the hour at nine o'clock, you're listening to 3 Triple R, and the program is Radio Maranoa, the show about all things wet and salty. My name's Dr Beach. And I'm Dr Surf. Surf, how are you going? I'm good. It's just the two of us. It is just the two of us. rolled out the A-team again. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know about that. <laughs> well, the we ones are, yeah, not yeah, on holidays. Are. Pardon? We're the ones not on holidays. We are the ones... Yeah, we never go on holidays. We're on work the whole time. Mm. Well, you are. I'm not at work the whole time. Yeah. Life is good. Yeah, you surf. Mm. And mm. we're going to talk... Uh, well, before we go any further... I've got to get my voice together this morning. There's something wrong with it. Um, I'm going to thank um, Tim Thorpe for a wonderful show, as always. I had a thought about Tim the other day. I Did had to send a letter, and on the stamp was Daryl Summers. Can you believe there's a Daryl Summers stamp? And I said, well, there's a Daryl Summers stamp. What about a Tim Thorpe stamp? How many years has he been in the business? And he hasn't been paid all that hundreds of thousands of dollars. That's an excellent point. We should have a we Tim should, Thorpe stamp. We should, we should lobby the um, Australia Post. Yeah. Is it? Or do we have to get an act of parliament through? <laughs> and um, we have um, Kent, also known as Panel Beater, who is panelling for us this morning. Thank you very much, Kent. So what's been happening? Well, before we go any further, I want, I want to spruik something. I want to shamelessly spruik something. I went to a fantastic play the other night at the Malthouse Theatre, and everybody... Get out your calendars, you've got to put it in. Um, it's called Blacky Blacky Brown, and all I can say is it's fantastic. It is the best 
piss take of how white people see Indigenous people in oh. Australia that I have ever seen. And how long is it on for? Um, it runs till about, oh, I don't know, it goes for, till the 29th of July. And it's Dr. Jack on Black unearths a mystical skull from a hidden mass grave and talismanically transform her into an ass-kicking Indigenous superhero, Blackie Blackie Brown. <laughs> And it's fantastic for all the family and there's a really, really great representation of how you can do good comedy on a very small stage. Mm. Very poignant and I loved it, so go out and see it. But, yeah, that's nothing to do with the marine world. You got any news for us? I do. I've got lots of surf news. Yeah. First of all, um, on the um, competition front, two big retirements were announced this week. Parco and Kelly Slater says he's going to retire. Which for about the tenth time, I would think. Anyway, um, who's Parker? Parker Joel Parkinson from Queensland, one of the original Cool and Getter Kids. He's probably mid thirties now. Won a world title. Very well liked man. He's announced his retirement um, at the J Bay Pro in uh, South Africa. And Kelly Slater, eleven times world champion, at the age of forty six, has decided to pack it in, and he'll be retiring. I think next year, which it always worries me when people say, I'm going to retire, but not now. And he's been known to come back and come back. But look, he's a great surfer. He's probably the greatest competitive surfer of all time. But like all of us, injuries are taking their toll. Which leads us on to the J-Bay competition, which has been on at the moment. They've been having great waves. And sharks, of course. That's the competition where um, uh, one of our great... um, Mick Fanning, one of our greats, got attacked by the great white shark. Same comp. And, of course, they're a little bit wary of sharks now. So they've got drones up and helicopters. And as you'd expect, there were a couple there. So they had to close things down a bit. Jay Bay's in South Africa. Yeah, Jeffrey's Bay in South Africa. I reckon it's the best wave, best right-hander I've ever seen. But it's like... um, Bells in in its geographical position. and, And it's cold... Um, gets big swells and sharks, <laughs> which we do. We have sharks around. Yeah. As, as I was saying to Kent, we, I had a shark um, experience a couple of weeks ago. I do tell. Uh, I won't go into details, but my point is that they have a lot to eat. There's a lot of wildlife in the water at the moment in, in the form of um, tuna and salmon and um, seals. And so just because there's a shark there doesn't mean it's going to eat you. So get out, obviously. Don't stay there, but but don't immediately think your days are over. Yeah, So indeed. they're around. Uh, there's a, one more thing I just want to mention on the news front. Uh, I saw uh, an edition of Foreign Correspondent on ABC iView the other night and it was about a small group of surfers who've invented a thing called the sea bin, which is a, uh, seems to be a self-powering bin that floats around in the water and sucks up plastic from the surface. And if you can, um, it's still on iView. I had a look last night. So it's just, um, I think, half an hour foreign correspondent. Just have a look if you're interested in that kind of thing. It's just another example of the small, um, I guess, projects that are going ahead from the younger generation. And was trying to do something positive. Was that in Australia? No. Um, Sorry, it was, uh, they're based in the Canary Islands and they were testing it in France. Um, So... It looks like it could be one of these things where you'd put at the end of each dock around, you know, a big marina and it would just passively suck up all the plastic. Well, that would be wonderful because, as you know, we speak a lot about plastic 
in the ocean on this program. Yes. And climate change. Yeah. And all those things and sea level rise, which reminds me there's been a couple of papers that have interested me which have appeared in in Nature and such illustrious journals in the last couple of weeks. Can I just mention our guests? I haven't mentioned our guests. Well, we can do that later. Okay. We've got two big guests. All right. Dr. Muzz and Dr. J. All right, yeah, Dr. Muzz. We're, we're talk, talking a lot on surfing today. We're going to get a um, version from the old school and we're going to get a version from the new school, mm. aren't we? Mm. Yeah. Anyway, back to those papers. So there's um, two papers. One is um, talking about how reefs are very important in protecting us from floods. We know this, but for the first time, um, this has been really well quantified in a paper in Nature Communications, uh, which is just pointing out all the very bad things that are going to happen when we lose our reefs, if we do lose our reefs. And then there's another complementary paper which is talking about sea level rises and how they are going to outstrip probably the accretion rate of of, um, coral reefs. In other words, sea levels are going to rise greater than the rate at which the coral reefs can keep up with them. Therefore, we are probably under the... Not so much the worst-case scenarios with the IPCC um, predictions, but, say, the ones which are just back from that. So so if that, if, happens, if that happens and it gets deeper and deeper, does the coral die? Uh, the coral won't die, but it will rapidly... Well, it's going to... It'll be below the surface, and then that is going to stop a lot of the protection that reefs give us from flooding and these papers... Will it cut down on the light levels to the symbiotic algae? Uh, it will cut down light levels on the symbiotic algae. Nice question there, Dr. Sir. I remember my marine botany 201. You do? Thanks, Jerry Craft. All those dinoflagellates <laughs> and those things that live in the corals and help them... F- well, they don't help the corals photosynthesise, but those things photosynthesise and then give those photosynthates all those nice sugars to the corals and that helps them grow. So they're just a couple of, I don't know, for me, kind of warning papers that mm. are out there. Let's have a look at the weather. Um, well, for the rest of the show today, we have so we have two surfers coming in. We do. We have uh, Dr. Muzz, who uh, many of our listeners down at Peninsula will know from his he's worked in the surf retail industry for over thirty years. He's worked at various places from Morty Surf to Peninsula Surf. Now works at Bass Surf. Mm-hmm. We're going to be talking about the changing face of surf retail, which sounds dull, but it's not. It's like a a microcosm of the world. In that the uh, well, we won't go into detail. Yeah, yeah, things are changing rapidly. Okay, and there's all sorts of opportunities for young um, independents in the surf industry now, and we're also being joined again by Dr. Jay, who will give us the young person's perspective. Jay Power, and after that, we are going to get Dave Donnelly, who's from the um, Two Base Whale Project, and he's going to get on the horn on the blower, and he's going to talk to us about. How wonderful it is at the moment with lots of whales that we are seeing oh, around our coast. Around. It's fantastic. I had a surf on Friday and there was me, two seals and a couple of dolphins that scared me. And that was it. And um, Dave Donnelly is also going to talk about the Phillip Island Whale Festival, which is coming up. I think it's on this weekend. But we'll check with Dave. Okay, we'll check with Dave. It's going to be 13 degrees today. It's, um, it was about 11 degrees as I was coming in here. There's a very high chance of showers in the southeastern suburbs. Medium chance elsewhere, winds 25 uh, west, 25 to 35 k per hour, so a little bit windy. Um, I'd say southwest. You'd say southwest, mm-hmm. would you? So I won't believe what I'm reading here in this morning's paper. Um, less than one millimetre of rain. Tomorrow we are going to be 14 degrees, Tuesday 14 degrees, 13, 14, 14, 15. 
Um, very little rain, less than one millimetre, 10 to 20, 30% chance of those one millimetres throughout the week. Mm. And if you are heading out on the water and you are interested in the tides at Point Lonsdale, it was high tide at around 6.30 this morning and it's going to be low tide just a little bit before high noon. Mm. How's it going to be on the surface of the water if Look, one quite, is on a surfboard? quite big and rough. Mm-hmm. And it's um, the wind's more southwest than west. So down on the Torquay coast, you're looking at waves that are overhead. Um, it would be quite rough unless you go for a protected break. Waves overhead, what do you mean? Like they're, they're bigger than a standard Big. person? Mm. They're bigger than two metres? Yeah. Okay. Easy, but rough. So do not go in unless you're an experienced surfer with good paddling power. Um, you could go to places like Lawn, Point Road Night. They'd be a bit more sheltered. On our side of the bay, you'd have to go to Western Port. Um, it didn't look that good this morning. But look, there there's swell. And it's been a bad winter, let me just put it that way. We've been surfing beach breaks in June, which is just so wrong. It's not funny. It hasn't been the swells. And a lot of the swells have been coming from the west, which is the wrong direction. So we had one of the greatest winters of all time last year. You just don't get two years like that in a row. But, you know, it's early days. We'll see. Okay. So you will get a wave today. I'd rug up. I was in a 5.4 the other day and I was pretty warm. And that's a, a wetsuit. With 5.4 millimetres? A 5 mil body, 4 mil arms. A bit hard to paddle in, but I'm a silk. I like my rubber. So I'm in gloves, hood, booties. All you can see is my little face. We well, don't even see that. Your sweet little face. <laughs> poking out of the wetsuit. So I'm a known neoprene um, addict. I love it. But it is getting pretty cold, and that wind factor really, really gets cold. Okay. I reckon we might go to a track, and this now, is something that you've chosen to I observe. have, and I've always wanted to say this, and now's my chance. This is a track from 1972 from a funk compilation, and this track is rated MA15+. It contains stupid sexual references. So if you just turn it up and listen to the lyrics because they are the dumbest I think I've ever heard. It's called I Want to Do Something Freaky to You. By? Leon Haywood. Okay. Let's have it. And you have just been listening to one of the stupidest songs I think I've ever heard. It was called I Want to Do Something Freaky to You by Leon Haywood from Ninth Leon Haywood, 1972. I found it on a, um, a compilation called Get Funked. Nice one, Dr. Surf. From the, the, the 70s. From the 70s. And yeah, the, the, uh, just on the 70s, I was watching Countdown the other day from 1975, and this is what the 70s was, was like for you young people. Bon Scott was on ACDC's first appearance on Countdown. He was dressed as a schoolgirl with little whitey undies on, and he sat down, and the camera went right up his dress, and there it was in full glory, and they didn't cut it. Bon Scott's C&Bs, as we call them. Nice one. The show is uh, Radio Marinara. We're uh, getting a bit you, steamy you, here. You've been listening to Dr. Surf. <laughs> My name's Dr. Beach. And we are um, joined in the studio now by, um, by Muzz. Hey, go, Muzz. Dr. Muzz. Well. Dr. Dr. Muzz. You, Dr. Dr. Beach. I'm, I'm very well. That's good. That's good. Dr. Surf, how are you? I'm very well. And Dr. J. Dr. I J. see. I know Dr. J from the surf. So it's good to surf. see. Yeah, it's good to see Dr. J. Great to see you too, Muzz, <laughs> and, and everyone else here. And before we go any further, I don't, you know, Muzz is here resplendent and it's fantastic. All I can call it is a 
it uh, looks it's, like it's just a, a, an ace shirt. It reminds me of is it an, an it's n- nudie shirt? Um, it's, it's like yeah, a nudie it's shirt. Actually, nudie and shirt. it's it, it's actually a my Parsons shirt. Yeah, my wife actually purchased this when we we're in. Uh, Austin just in the last couple of months. So it was good. Brought it in a thrift store for a very bargain price. Wow. (laughs) I thought you were going to say she got it at Joshua Tree National Park. No, 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 no. It was in in some thrift store down out the back off in in Austin. So, yeah, that's where it came from. Austin, Texas. Yes. Hmm. Which you ask why was a surfer doing in Austin. They do have a wave pool there, but I wasn't there (laughs) for that. (laughs) Now, Mars has had... How many years experience oh, in surf industry? Oh, to be surf retail it's pushing close to forty years now in the surf industry. And name some companies that you've well worked for. I worked. I, I started my career way back in the early eighties for a now defunct surf shop, which was called Pacific Surf and Snow. From there, I went on and worked for Morty Surf for twenty years. Went out on my own, ran an agency, uh, which was in the surf industry for quite a few years ended up back at peninsula surf doing retail and just in the last two years gone out independently again and opened our own store down in industrial area a whole different look of how we do things now so a long which time which is bass surf it is bass surfboards yeah yep. yeah now we were talking earlier about the difference in surf retail in those early days to now so how was it in those early days? Well, back in those days, all the stores obviously were independent, pretty much run by surfers, and it was just at the start of the the apparel boom that happened, you know, through the through the eighties. Most of us surf shops, you know, we did still sell incense. You walked in the door, it smelt <laughs> like wax. You could smell surf wax. It was all all scented. You know, the brands that were around are brands that pretty much don't exist now because the big guys were only, other than Quicksilver, who were doing board shorts, the rest of them were just hardware companies supplying us with, with that sort of stuff. And it was very grassroots. Like, we used to drive down to Torquay once a week when I was working at Morty Surf and go to Quicksilver and pick up this, you know, something that you probably would never think you'd want to wear again as a surfer called <laughs> the Quicksilver Polero Pant, which was... Best way to describe it would be some middle-aged person walking around in a jogging suit now, but we used to sell tons of them. Were they like shiny, shiny? They were shiny. They had elastic at the bottom and, yeah, they weren't a good look, but those things, we, we trucked them out the door, so we'd have to drive Like something down. from The Sopranos. Should bring uh, them back, I reckon. <laughs> yeah, more like a sweatsuit, you know, like one of those ones you might see someone on the weight loss program trying to sweat it out. They weren't a good, you know, in looking back, it wasn't a good look. <laughs> so in those days we talk about the big three, the big three brands for our listeners were Rip Curl, Quicksilver, Billabong. Yeah, they were the big three, yeah. Yeah, there was, there was a couple of other ones which sort of were in the mix at that stage. Um, Hot Tuna, which was a, you know, doesn't exist now. It was quite a popular brand when we first sort of got into that one. Brands like Cream, or a lot of this stuff's gone by the wayside, mm-hmm. but primarily... It was Quicksilver were a board short company, Rip Curl were a wetsuit company and Billabong were a board short company and that's who sort of got the foot in the door and got us all started. And in the boom of the 80s and 90s, those three companies became immense. Yes, they did. They did. Well, they, they would have become listed. Were they public companies then? Uh, they weren't. They were all independently owned and... Uh, you know, it wasn't. I think Quicksilver was the first one to list. It didn't list in Australia. It listed in America in 1988. Um, but basically, the original founders 
were still the owners of those businesses and likewise Billabong up until the, the 90s and Rip Curl is still privately owned as far as I know. So, um, you know, but the, the two original owners are still there but I'm not sure what level they have involved in the business anymore. So what um, – now, when I was a youngster, we had a lot of what, what we would call now brand loyalty. In other words, you, if you bought a wetsuit, it was a rip curl. There was, yep. If you bought board shorts, they were quicksilver because yep. this is where I surfed down around Torquay. There was never any choice. That's what you wore if yep. you didn't want to get beaten up. And was, was that because – they were Australian brands. They were local they brands. Were local, as, as yeah. a, I mean, I don't know much about this, but I do know that there was another brand called O'Neill, which was American. Yes, and they're still around. Yeah. So, would, still so would, you, would, you, would you have been punched out of the water if you had <laughs> no, 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 no. But it was O'Neill did have an Australian licensee, and they were in South Australia, and uh, it did have a, a you know early on market share it was still there like but again it was more a hardware company it was the wetsuits that everyone brought from O'Neill yeah. their their specialist in that early time was the shark skin which was a sort of textured smoothie suit so um you know it was a good winter suit but you yeah. could buy um quicksilver from memory from um MSD Melbourne Sports Depot yep. and the the Melbourne Surf Shop. Yep, and the original version of Surf Dive and Ski yeah. as well. Yep, which you know again back when they all started, it was uh, you know it was a very good core group of independently owned surf shops. So, so Surf Dive and Ski were one of the first ones that actually expanded out into the shopping centres in the probably the late uh, the late seventies early eighties. So they were the first one to sort of start changing the face of of surf retail in Australia back in the day. So there there were these West Coast brands, as we were called in those days, and you would surf with the guys that owned the companies. They were out there. So it was a very surf... This is where we're going with this long rambling thing. It was very <laughs> surf-orientated. It was owned by surfers. They made it for surfers. But And, and on the East Coast, there were brands like Trigger's Trigger Brothers, Barlin, any others back in the eighties that I've forgotten? Oh, no, not There's really. Peninsula um, Surf, yeah, Peninsula Surf was started by, you know, uh, uh, Mornington Peninsula. You know, one of our best surfers, a guy called Ted Bainbridge, yep. who started that in the in the early seventies and uh, owned that up until about three or four years ago when Rip Curl came in and took the the bought the company out. And this is really brings us to the. To the crux of our our interview. What happened? Well, what happened um, in the nineties? Yeah, and well, into the the new century. Well, it became something that you know we everyone wanted our lifestyle as surfers. You know, that was something that you know we were back in the in the early days. You know, we were probably quite alternative to what was going on, and people liked to have our look and do that so you know and then what happened i guess in the 80s first one was quicksilver floating on in america on the on the stock exchange then it came in when the growth became massive they started bringing people in who necessarily weren't surfers who came from a business and a corporate background who actually didn't understand the lifestyle side of things it was all about bottom line money turnover and getting the the expanding the product out to you know the 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 mass market so that's where it changed and into brands that were not surf related so um quicksilver bought rosignol the ski company for example right and that pretty much broke them yeah Yeah. Uh, and it's happened Billabong too have gone down. Yeah, Billabong Billabong went out in their big brand purchases and purchase 
several big brands and quite or several brands and quite a few of them were from outside of the surf industry so and tried to expand some worked some didn't you know likewise with quicksilver probably uh rip curl was one of the few of the big boys that didn't go out and buy too many other brands they did did buy uh a mctavish and set that up and try and develop that when we had the the first longboard renaissance in the, in the surfboard side of things, but that didn't last long either. So it was more about, to, I mean, to my naive understanding, it was like selling surfers' clothes and therefore the lifestyle to the general public. Yes. And the best way to do this was to just do, you know, the whole mass marketing thing. And it was this driven by, like, the big companies then saying to the people, you know, who were on the West Coast who had these smaller, you know, your Quicksilvers, your Rip Pearls, We'll give you some money. We'll take it. You can still surf. You can still do a little, have a little bit to do with the company, but we'll give you an enormous amount of money so that you can then just go off and surf for the rest of your life, not worry about the company. We'll look after it. And so then they rooted it. As yeah, might pretty say. much. Pretty much so. Most most of those <laughs> Which guys. Which is not surprising. Yeah, That's yeah. what happens in everything. Well, you know, if the, you start off on yeah. something good, a small cafe, yes. someone yeah. comes in, gets it. Yeah. You go, you know, that's it. Off in the sunset, you're happy. Yeah. All all the original founding members of all those big three brands were surfers. They set those brands up as a lifestyle, which is and then surfers. they cashed in, and then eventually they cashed in. Or they they found, you know, probably the way to look at it is they probably found that suddenly they had these big, enormous, growing businesses they couldn't manage, so they bring started bringing corporate people in people from outside of the industry yeah. you know for a long time a lot of the people that were working there were it was you know it was it was a mates club you know it was a bit of a you know lots of good surfers worked for these companies and 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 you know they still do but i guess in the background the the movers and the shakers are more corporate money people and accountants more so than pure surfers i was just going to ask jay a question now we've had uh, we've talked about what, what it was like when we were young, about how you bought the local brands. Well, you're still young. What's yeah. your, um, <laughs> what are your views on this with regards well, to buying surf equipment? Buying surf equipment, I guess, I'll go back to like when I started surfing. So when I started surfing, probably around the late 90s and all that sort of stuff, it was still pretty dominated by the big three. And like, you know, as a as a kid, you know, very... I suppose impressionable. I wanted to wear their clothes. I wanted to, you know, do all that sort of stuff. And and my life, my surfing life was kind of based around the big three and all that sort of stuff. But as as I've progressed and as I've sort of grown up continuously surfing, I've noticed that, yeah, it's like I'm kind of noticing more the alternative side of things yeah. now, I guess. Like, yeah, no, that's a good uh, point. What's happening is these big brands have, have dropped the ball, essentially. Yeah. They, they've lost the market. Definitely, And yeah. so there's opportunities now for boutique brands to yep. come in. And there's, there are real opportunities now. It's, it's an yeah. interesting, exciting environment. And with, and with people, I suppose, my age as well, sort of getting back into the earlier routes of surfing, like riding, I suppose single fin long boards and, and retro style boards and all that sort of stuff. We're trying to kind of make a resurgence of that whole lifestyle from back then as well. It's not, um, yeah, it's, we're trying not to, it's kind of like a DIY kind of punk yeah. aesthetic as well, you know, it like is. it's, we're not, we're not trying to follow the norm. Yeah. And, and I can imagine you, you, I mean, you well. see those so-called big three, as you've been calling them, as now being, you know, the monster sort of yeah. international three. So, you know, 
we want nothing to do with them. Let's yep. go with the small independent ones back to as it was in the early That's 70s. That's it. It, it, is, it is. There, it's, there it's is a circle. You know, the, the only issue that probably changes it a bit is that because the a lot of the surf stores are now owned even though they may not be badged by the big guys. So there is still – it is really difficult for new up-and-coming brands to try and get a foothold in the marketplace. Right. You know, mm-hmm. they do, they do, but uh, it is a time. lot – it takes time. It's a lot of hard work. But, again, with social media and different areas that they're approaching, you know, they're getting to the youth market and it is changing it. And they're offering a, the lifestyle that we once had to these guys who want to have that lifestyle. Mm. Uh, the show is Radio Marinara. We are jo- it's Dr. Surf and Dr. Beach in the studio, and we are joined by Jay Power and Muzz. And Muzz, you've um, you've programmed a track for us this morning. I have I indeed. I have indeed. I've brought in uh, a a record from thirty plus years ago. Eighty three. Eighty three. Yep. Yep. That that from Soul Mining. So a great record. And I guess because. He's Matt Johnson's about to tour for you're the first time. You're in excited years. like a number of I, other people. I am. I'm going. I've already got a ticket, so I'm going. Yep. If there's one thing I know about Mars, aside from being a great surfer and a great person, he's got a great taste in music. <laughs> oh, thanks, Joe. <laughs> Let's have it then. It's just after 9.41. The show is Radio Marinara. The, pro, the um, station, of course, is 3 R. I'm Dr. Beach, joined by Dr. Surf and Jay and Muzz. Dr. And Surf, and back to you. We're talking surf industry. Wide-ranging discussion around the surf industry. And what I'll just do now is, is uh, cough up some... Um, I won't call them facts because I got them from the interweb, <laughs> but they're just an indication of the size of the surf industry as estimated by some. They estimate is 23 million surfers worldwide and the, the surf industry is worth at the moment $7.3 billion US. 50% of those sales are in the US. Most of the sales are boards, wetsuits and footwear. Now, the interesting thing um, that I found was the the average surfer in America is between 34 and 36 years old, has surfed for 16 years, surfs 108 times per annum, which is a pretty good effort. That's a good effort. If you've got a job, that's a very good effort. But they have a significantly higher income, 70% higher than average, and higher education levels. So, and Mars, you were saying before how... But hang on. So these are going to be people that live near the coast Mm. that surf like that. So to live near the coast is more expensive. Mm. Speeds into all that other stuff, so... Probably it, not that surprising. No, it, no, and it's not. It would be the same here. Yeah, um, it would, uh, definitely down our way on the Mornington Peninsula, that demographic would be exactly hitting the money on the, hitting yeah. the nail on the head, yeah. And you were saying, Muzz, how the the, surf, the larger surf companies miss the mark well, with they, regards they to marketing. Well, they still do. They market, you know, they in both men's and women's, they still try to market to the youth market. And the youth market really, from, you know, my perspective looking... In, within the industry looking out is they don't want to look like their dads and their mums anymore. You know, they want to have their own look and this is what is also allowing the new brands to come into into the market. My brother surfed, like, you know, and I'd, I'd never had anything to do with it. The closest I got to it was looking at his surfing magazines he'd bring home. And, you know, as a, 
a teenager, I thought it was Ace, the advertising they had, which was all centred around girls' bumps. Yeah, it was. Well, that, but, that, yeah, looking back on it, that wasn't such a good thing. Is it still like that? Uh, you look, there's certain certain marketing programs that still utilise uh, girls' bums and, you know, it's it's a very old fashioned way of doing it. It doesn't die out? No, it hasn't died out, but I don't know whether, you know, because currently the the girls and ladies market is probably as hardcore surfers as the fastest growing market. So they are aiming at that, but I don't kind of get that, you know, showing a girl's bum is going to make a lot of girls, especially down here in Victoria where we don't get that opportunity to have warm water to get your bum out too often. Right. <laughs> I, think it, I think that whole, in quotation, sex sells thing is a lot to do with corporatization and stuff like that. Yes. Like a, you see the smaller upcoming companies and stuff like that and they're a bit more aware of, I suppose, it like equity and all that yeah. sort of stuff and as opposed to yeah. pushing you know, yeah that's it. and they that do make of, they do make that a lot of the new companies make that girls surfing a beautiful thing like mm. it's you visually they 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 show it represented different and it, it is a more of an art form and a beautiful look of someone a girl surfing. and i guess this would be one of the things that you've noticed being someone who's surfed for decades is that yeah. now there's a lot more Women in the water oh, surfing, absolutely. which has got to be a fantastic thing, and, I'd imagine, oh, for, look, for everyone. It, it, I personally think it's probably helped mallow a lot in the water because once it was just a men's club and it was an aggro men's club, oh, it yeah. still is at times. <laughs> but I think, you know, girls in the water have, you know, have mallowed the water a lot. And, you know, and there is some really good surfers down on the peninsula and all around Australia who and surf very differently to how the men do, not as aggressive. Some of them beautiful styles, beautiful stylish surfers and it, it just brings a different element to the water. In in my opinion that's surfing to a T. It's yeah. just the way that it it's the way that it looks and flows and the feel of it rather than the I suppose money making trying that's to it. sell stuff aspect yep. of it. Jay, we were talking off air about the what we call the punk aspect of the new surfing. Yeah. Do it yourself. Well, in, yeah. It, like, in comparison to, I suppose, punk and, like, what you were saying with skateboarding and stuff like that, they're, like, sure, there have been companies within skateboarding and there have been punk bands and there have been all this stuff that have gone that extra mile and, you know... <laughs> probably not so much corporatized or whatever. Almost but, mainstream. Yeah, almost mainstream, yeah. But the the whole aesthetic of, like, you know, um, up-and-coming brands uh, reaching out to markets of their own accord, you know, like uh, with the use of social media and stuff like that, and even, like, old-school methods, like putting flyers up on a lamppost or on a brick wall in the city somewhere or even out in the suburbs, you know, br- like bringing people in that way as opposed to... You know, yeah. market. Yeah. Or yeah. even the what um Bass does sometimes, you know, have a Friday afternoon, Friday evening yeah. surf movie. Yeah, well, we do we do yeah. we do run nights with some of our brands. Does Brighton Town Hall still run surf movies? No, no. that's something <laughs> that's of the past, that's unfortunately. That's that's unfortunately that that old thing we grew up with with the surf movie is well and truly gone now yeah, because of mass release. Your yeah, device. on your device, yes. <laughs> By yourself. Damn. But we still Damn. try to run them and, and bring in independent people and, you know, and they're, they're quite successful nights because so, it's a bit different. It's a bit more homey. 
Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks so much for coming in, uh, Muzz and Jay. Yeah, no Thank worries. you. Thank Love you, doctors. You. Thanks for having us. Yeah, and for having um, us. we'll hopefully get you in again at some stage, certainly. Sounds lovely. Great. That would be <laughs> a pleasure. Thanks, guys. Okay, we're going to go to a track. Now, this is one that I listened to a couple of weeks ago. I mentioned it to a friend. You know that fantastic song by the Fobes? And they hadn't heard about it. This is just before we go to Community Cup where people like to have dogs. Surfers like to have dogs, so I thought this would be and a most appropriate... And they're from the peninsula too, the Fobes. Yes. Right, so I thought this <laughs> would be choice. a most appropriate little choice for this morning. <laughs> if you haven't heard it, enjoy it. You are indeed on Triple R, the show is Radio Marinara. Um, there's been a lot of, and we talk about things wet and salty on the airwaves here, and um, we've just been having a nice discussion about surfing in the old days. And um, now I'll tell you what's different between now and then is that we would rarely see a whale back then, and there's I've, dozens of them at the moment. There's heaps of them at the moment, and we have the person to talk to at the moment, which is Dave Donnelly, who's talking to us live from Cape Willamai. How are you going, Dave? Good morning, gentlemen. It is uh, blustery and wet Cape Willamai. <laughs> What, why are you at Cape Willamai? You, have you got the binoculars out looking for whales as we speak? We have. I've actually retreated to the car for, for the very purpose of chat to you guys, which has been a blessing for me. We're actually out here as part of the uh, Phillip Island Island Whale Festival Spotter Whale Session where we uh, invite people to come down to the coast and look for whales with a couple of marine biologists and a few pairs of binoculars. Um, and surprisingly, we've got about 25 or 30 people, including families, out here in the cold, wet rain looking for whales. Fantastic. Any success so far this morning? This morning has been a bit of a failure. There's been quite a few squalls come through. Um, yesterday was more successful. We had humpback whales breaching off uh, Pyramid Rock and uh, very, very dedicated members of the public uh, putting up with uh, squalls and uh, sideways. when people barely able to stand up and hold their binoculars straight, but they uh, were, were rewarded with their, uh, for their persistence with a beautiful whale breaching right off the rocks. That's beautiful. And there has been, I mean, we've, we've been talking, we spoke to you a couple of weeks ago and I think a couple of weeks before that because it has been such an active whale time at the moment, hasn't it? It's been an incredible time. We've had some great weather. I heard you talking about the swell earlier and how bad it's been for surfers, but that has actually been very good for spotting whales. So the, uh, the boats have been out and uh, taking passengers to look at whales. There's also been a lot of land-based observations from all the way from Barren Heads right through to Inverloch, and lots and lots of whales, including um, endangered southern right whales very close to the coast and even a pot of killer whales. Wow. So we have southern right whales, we have a pot of killer whales, we have... Just remind me, my, my memory is completely gone, Dave. What are the types of whales that we can expect to see and what are the rare ones around our waters? Well, yeah, well, at this time of year, we're, we're predominantly being hit up with uh, humpback whales, which are migrating north to the Queensland calving grounds. We've also got the odd southern right whale appearing, particularly on the west coast of Victoria, and they're here for their calving and mating uh, behaviours. We also had the killer whales passing through quite randomly, but seasonally. And then, of course, in, in summer... Later on in the year, we, we expect that we're going to start to see blue whales appearing, particularly off the west coast of Victoria. So we're pretty rich in diversity, uh, and we're not even talking about some of the more offshore species. So we're, we're very lucky that we can see these animals so close to shore and invite people down with some, uh, I guess, some uh, confidence that we'll find whales despite the weather. And the blue whales are the really big ones, aren't they? That's right. In fact, these are the guys uh, off the west coast of Victoria in the Bonnie Upwelling area around Portland, uh, the pygmy variety, which grow to a mere 24 metres or so. And can, can you actually see a blue whale from shore or do you have to go out on, in a plane? Or... 
it's it's better to go out on a boat or if you're in, into planes then i guess you can do that but um you can see them from shore it's definitely possible particularly from cape bridgewater good pair of binoculars and a keen eye will uh, hopefully grab you a, a blue whale sighting but it is difficult you've got to be very patient and spend the time that it takes to see one now, from your perspective from the Two Bays Whale Project, if someone sights a whale, what would you like them to do? We love citizen science, the Two Bays Whale Project. It, in fact, it's the only reason we survive. Um, we would love people to report these sightings via our um, online sighting form, which is through the Dolphin Research Institute website. Alternatively, they can go to our Facebook page and send us a personal message. And what we're really after is a photo to validate each sighting. And it doesn't matter how bad that photo is, as long as it shows a whale in it, it can be a dot on the horizon. And as long as we can tell it's a whale, it'll go into the uh, the database and we can start building that knowledge of whales around our coastline. Sorry, sorry, Dr Beach. I'm just going to jump in. If you're standing on the beach and, and you see a whale, is there an easy way to tell what kind it is? Yeah, for sure there is. Um, this time of year, you're likely to be looking at one of two, that is the humpback or the southern right whale. The key difference between those two, if you're just standing on the beach, you look for a dorsal fin. If you see a dorsal fin, it's more likely to be a humpback whale. If you don't see a dorsal fin, it's likely to be a southern right whale. Now, you the dorsal fin's that big one on the back, isn't it? It is. It's about two-thirds of the way down the body. Um, and the humpback whale also has very large, uh, narrow pectoral fins or flippers. And the southern right whale has much stubbier, square-shaped uh, or paddle-shaped pectoral fins. So there's a few different diagnostics you can use to determine which one you're looking at. If it's really close to shore, there's a pretty good chance it's the southern right whale. And I guess for you, Dave, um, getting people to, to send in their photographs, it would be fantastic if people had really... I mean, you said you want any photograph, but if they had photographs where you can perhaps distinguish individuals, is that possible? It is. It certainly is. We concentrate, excuse me, on our, on the flukes of humpback whales, the underside coloration of the tail of the humpback whale. Um, their individual uh, markings determine their individuality in a population, and they can be added to a catalogue. With the southern right whales, um, we generally pass on that information to the, the guys who are managing southern right whale catalogues over in Warrnambool through the uh, through DELP or through the Australasian right whale photo identification catalogue, which is online. Um, so we encourage people to share that information with those those folks then across the coast to uh, to Warrnambool. Fantastic. And a lot of this, like, it's all being logged in databases, but will eventually be published in illustrious journals, do you think, or...? Yeah, well, we publish a report every year, which is publicly available. Um, the last report is online at the moment. You can check it out. It's written in layman's terms only. Uh, as far as publishing for a scientific journal, we, we've gathered enough data, we think, now to be able to say something meaningful with that data. So uh, I was just talking to a gentleman this morning, and his photo has appeared uh, on the on the database, and he saw it there himself, and he, he felt very part of um, the project itself and it felt like a contributor. That's what we want people to feel, that, they, that their efforts to give us information is not wasted, it's used and shared out. Again, it's kind of like paying it forward, if you like. And we're all, we're all about that sharing of information and, uh, and engaging with communities. Dave, you do a fantastic job. That's great. We, so- we do try and, uh, look, if anybody's interested to find out more and is on the Phillip Island, in the Phillip Island region today, we have three science sessions this afternoon starting at 4 o'clock following Hunting the Ice Whales, and a scientific documentary on Antarctic whale research at the Cows Cultural Centre. At the, ca- at the Cows Cultural Centre, fantastic. And you're at Cape Willamite at the moment. So you'll be heading up there at what time? 
Uh, we'll be kicking off from about uh, the, the, the Cal Cultural, Cultural Centre is operating all day today, um, but we'll be there from 3 o'clock through to 6. Okay, thanks very much, Dave. Well, enjoy the rest of the day and um, let's hope that quite a few more people rock up at Cows. Mm-hmm. And um, good luck with the whales. Enjoy it. Good morning, gentlemen. Have a fantastic day and thanks again for having me on the program. It's been a pleasure, Dave. Thanks, thanks Dave. That was, uh, that was Dave Donnelly reporting from, um, from Phillip Island. He's from the um, Two, Bales, Two Bays Whale Project. And it's just a, a, a point. We do have a lot of bad news on this show, but every now and again we get a really fantastic story about how things are improving, and, and that is Dave is a classic example of that. It is. I never saw whales when I was a kid, and we see them all the time now. It's fantastic. It mm. is wonderful. I thank you, Dr. Sir, for joining me this morning. A and great we pleasure. Thank also Dave Donnelly, of course, who we are just talking to, and also Jay and Muzz taking us through how things have changed in the surf world. And thanks also to Kent Panelbeater, who's been with us this morning. Thank you, Kent. We'll see you um, next week. The show has been Radio Marinara. Goodbye. This has been a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.